So nice to see everybody. Good day to be driving on 101 North. Yeah, it's good to see everybody. You too. Yeah. Thank you for coming all Yeah, my pleasure. So, um, why don't we open with prayer? Lord God, we do just uh, ask for your presence among us, Lord. We know that you are present with us, Lord, but uh, always, but Lord, that we would be aware of your majesty, your greatness. Lord, your power and authority, your love and affections for us, Lord. And I just uh, ask you to help me in the teaching today, and Lord, may your spirit just guide us, Lord, instruct our hearts. May we grow in Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at a passage in Philippians chapter 4, and so if you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, I entitled this sermon, A Firm Footing in the Lord, and that comes from the verse 1 of chapter 4 where it says, Therefore, my beloved, and long for brothers, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. Who here is ever worried? Everybody's hand should be up, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, we're all, we're all on the same page with this. So, um, what kinds, just not out loud, but just think, what kinds of things do you worry about? Kids. Kids? Very kids. Yeah. Finances. Finances. All kinds of unrest in the world, politics. Not the saved, sisters and brothers. Mm-hmm. Would you like to have a worry-free life? <laughs> to always be calm in every situation. To have be to be content in every situation and to never stress out. Now, there's times in life where we um, are carefree and we, we think of times where we're swimming at a lake or together with a group of friends eating pizza or playing ping pong. And then there's times in life where we have all kinds of troubles. We have um, perhaps somebody's bullying us or, you know, uh, could be uh, a political unrest or fires or the heartache of, of loss the loss that we care about, especially those who are near to us. But this true peace changed with the changing of your circumstances. Does does, uh, true contentment in life and joy, does that change with a changing situation? Can can a bully take away your body of your joy? Can, can fires, can they rob you of your peace? Is that the kind of thing that can be removed from you by a bully or a wildfire, possibly sickness, pandemic, you know, <laughs> all of the above? We've seen it all, haven't we? Well, Paul in Philippians chapter 4, he tells us how to have stability in chaos. He actually tells us how we can have contentment in any situation. 
he talks about how we can have a worry-free life. And so he says, he commands us in verse 1 to stand firm. Or my Bible here says to be uh, stand to stand fast in the Lord. In verse 7, um, he says, through prayer you're going to have peace you have peace with God, and it will be with you forever. So, in verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 11 talks about having the secret of contentment in life. So he says, I do not speak because I have need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. So this chapter 4 is actually how to, how to weather the storm and how to do that with joy and contentment and to be standing firm in the Lord, to have a firm footing in the Lord amidst trials. And Paul gives the secret to peace and joy amidst changing and turbulent times. The word stand fast, it, it comes from a Greek word, steko, and it's a military term to be stationary. Now, in the context, he says, uh, he says this word in verse 1, he says, therefore, my beloved. And so, whenever you see the word therefore, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to find out what that word therefore is there for. <laughs> <laughs> it's there for a reason. It was there because of what he said in chapter 3. In chapter 3, Paul mentions the dogs in chapter Chapter 3, verse 2. These are false teachers. The, the, the group of the circumcision, the legalists, they're um, those who believe that you can be saved by your works, that you can earn your salvation. And he warns them that they are, in verse 18, that he says that they are enemies of the cross. By extension, you're not only enemies of the cross of Christ, you're enemies of the pure doctrine, the, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. They're enemies of the traditions of the church. They're enemies of um, the apostles of the church. They're enemies of the church itself in every aspect. And so, Paul's warning them about these false teachers and these Legalists who could come in and disrupt the fellowship of the church and bring chaos and rob them of their joy and rob them of their contentment. And it teaches us something, you know, the most destabilizing forces in the world that can be upon a Christian is not those um, turbulent times from without the church, or in other words, things like persecution or tyrannic ruler. Uh, Tyranny from, from political rule or wildfires, you name it. All these different thing, kinds of pressures that can be put upon a Christian from without. But the greatest threats to any Christian's life that will destabilize them and rob them of the joy and their contentment is actually from within. It's actually disrupting the fellowship amongst Christians, robbing them of truth and robbing them of their, their joy in Christ. And so Paul cautions these Philippians against false teachers in verse 1 to 11 through uh, of chapter 3. And then he, he expresses his earnest desire to press 
forward towards perfection, to always be found in Christ and be growing in sanctification. And he uses himself as an example for the Philippians to follow, and that's 12 through 21. So we're going to really look at just three verses in chapter 4. That was the the context, but um, he says this in verse 1, Therefore, my beloved... And long for brothers, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. I exhort Yodia and Sintashe to be of the same mind in the Lord. I ask you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So again, we're talking about how we can stand firm amidst chaos, how we, how we can be firm-footed in the Lord. And essentially, he's saying the, 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 first, the first thing we need to strive for is church unity. We need to have that peace in, amongst uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And the, Paul, uh, the Bible calls us to unity and harmony with each other. Consider for a moment a few passages. Psalms 133.1 says this, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Or 2 Corinthians 13.11, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Anyway, who can forget John 13, 34, and 35? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one to another. And so the, the Bible is full of these commands and is calling for the, God's people to be united together. Striving for unity. So, what is chaos? Um, I actually had an opportunity about 20 years ago to go to Mali, West Africa, which was amazing. I loved it, and it was an adventure. Um, and we were doing ministry there. Um, part of what we're doing is building a dental clinic. But one of the things we got to do is go to a remote village in a place called Timbuktu. <laughs> It's actually the real Timbuktu in the Sahara Desert, which was pretty cool. Um, and it's exactly, whatever you imagine Timbuktu to be, it's, it's exactly that. So it's uh, remote, it's desolate, it's barren, it's hot, there's not many people around. And on our way back from our little ministry that we had there in the village, we got stuck in the sand in our van. Interesting about Midnight is when people actually come out because it's so hot. And people started coming out of the bushes, and you're like, surprised, like, who in the world <laughs> is out here? Uh, we had many people come, and first people started trying to lift it out of the hole, and, and then we had some others come along, and they, they started pushing from the front side, trying to push it backwards out. And simultaneously, another group of people come and they start pushing from the backside and they're trying to push it forward. So we had people 
lifting and others pulling and pushing and they're all out of sequence. And it was mass chaos. And we just stood back and watched the whole thing and couldn't believe what was happening before our eyes. Finally, somebody uh, said, we got to get to the same side of the van and all push together, right? But that's chaos. And the world is pushing and pulling in every which direction in the, in the Christian's life. Right now, we have people pushing us into war with Russia. Right? We have people pushing our kids' uh, gender issues. These are all aware of these different forces. We have um, climate issues. We have racial issues. We have people pushing and pulling on us in every different direction. Aside from personal trials like a loss of a job or a loss of uh, somebody who's close to us, loss of life, illness, death. Perhaps uh, a lot of us are experiencing people we love moving away from us. All these different forces at work, it makes our lives feel very, very chaotic, right? I, I feel that this last five years of my life has been way more chaotic than I ever remembered, you know, in the, the, the previous 40 years. So not. We're living in chaos, and the church ought to be that one place of peace and tranquility. Right? That one place of rest. Place of harmony and joy. And it would be nice to have that tranquility, to have that peace and rest in our families. It would be nice to have that in uh, your jobs. It might... It'd be nice to have it in, in the community or in the city that you live in, but at least it ought to be true of the Christian church, right? So Paul says we need to have a firm footing in the Lord by having this stable church environment. We need to have peace amongst brothers and sisters of the church. And Paul cites Yodia and Sidiche as a case study for the church to look at. So he commends uh, them as a study. He, he, he tells Yodia and Tidashe to agree in the Lord. This again is speaking about the unity in the church. And it's a consistent theme throughout the book of Philippians. If you flip back in chapter 1 to verse 27, Paul calls for church unity. He says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether or not I come and see you, I may hear of your activities, that you are standing fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then just a few verses down in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Then fulfill my joy and be like-minded, having the same love, being in unity with one mind. And through through uh, the book of Philippians, this call to unity. And some people, having observed this, say that this is the central theme of the book. However, I, I would disagree. I think verse 27, chapter 1 again, says this, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I think that's the central theme of the book of Philippians. To, to have a, a gospel-worthy life. To conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And yet, it's not too far off to talk about church unity. 
conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, well, the, the, the chief principle behind that, or the, or the chief end, is actually to work towards unity and harmony within the church. It's the first order of conduct for living a gospel-worthy life. It's the highest priority. So we want to make a little uh, study of uh, what that looks like using Yodia and Siddhashe as a case study for us. Uh, who must be united? Who must be united in the church? Who were these women, Yodia and Siddhashe? Well, first they are Christians. Notice it's a, it's a disagreement between two believers. He says this is a disagreement in the Lord. And they were Christians, and Paul says that their names were written in the book of life at the end of verse 3. It's just another way of saying that they're on heaven's roll call, that they are citizens of the kingdom of God. Yodia and Sintashe were actually Christians. These were believers in the church. Second, they are church members. Paul is writing to a local assembly of believers in a region called Philippi. They're called the Philippians. This is a he's addressing a church, and this is a conflict between two members within the church. And we know that because there seems to be an obligation for them to resolve this dilemma for the sake of the church. And the church they have an obligation to the church to actually have a an accountability and a responsibility for how they conduct themselves within the church of Philippi. And likewise, the church seems to have a responsibility for helping them to resolve this dilemma. This is uh, church membership. We, we see it uh, implied here. There's no such thing as uh, uh, a Christian that just bounces from church to church to church and is accountable to anybody and has no responsibility and is disconnected from a local assembly. The New Testament knows nothing of that. So Sintashe and Yodia were first, they were Christians, second, they were church members, and third, they were actually very mature Christians. We don't have like um, any other writings in the New Testament, like in the book of Acts, citing Yodia and Sintashe. Actually, all we have is here in the book of Philippians, and though there's only three verses here that we're looking at, it actually says quite a bit about them. Um, well, we know that the, the environment of Philippi was actually a very difficult place to be a Christian in. Philippi, uh, there was no friend to Christians, nor was the friend to Jews. And when Paul went into Philippi in the book of Acts, to, to plant a church there, the first place he went to was a, a riverbank where he found some women praying and he evangelized them at the beginning of the church in Philippi. Why did he go to this riverbank? Well, in any given city, you had to have at least 11 God-fearing Jews in the town in order to assemble together as a synagogue. In order to establish a synagogue, you had to have 11 God-fearing Jews. And if not, the prescription was that you would gather together, however few you were, together to pray. 
I assume they might have prayed that they would keep more believers in their town and they could establish a church. I'm not sure. But that was the prescription at the time. And so there was not even 11 God-fearing Jews in the entire town of Philippi. In other words, this was a very godless town. Furthermore, Paul was brutally beaten when he evangelized in this town. He was, he was brutally beaten, and then he was arrested by authorities for proclaiming the gospel. But then you remember the story, he actually, this is the one time where he claims his Roman citizenship and they have to escort him out of town. <laughs> they're almost apologetic for how they treated him because they were afraid that they um, had gone out of their jurisdiction and they were going to be prosecuted for legal action against them. Now, um, Paul says this, amidst this hostile place called Philippi, Yodia and Syntyche ministered side by side in for the gospel. These were strong Christians, bold in the faith, willing to put their necks out there for the sake of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. These were mature Christians. So we have that they were Christians first. Second, they were members that they were mature Christians. You can say they were bold Christians. They were sold out for Christ. And fourth, they were also sisters in Christ. Not only did they labor side by side the Apostle Paul, but what's implied in that is they labored side by side each other. They had a history together of working together through some very challenging and difficult times. And you know how that can be when you're working alongside somebody through a trial or a crisis. You actually are bonded together with that person in a unique way. They actually had this kind of relationship with each other, and they had worked together for the advancement of the gospel in the town of Philippi through thick and thin. And they had a history together, and these were sisters in the Lord. So we learn a lot from who these women were. They were Christians, they were mature Christians. They were members of this church of Philippi, and these were sisters in the Lord who had a deep affection and care for each other's life. And we learned this, that all Christians can run into conflict with each other from time to time. Right? Even the most mature Christians among us, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have a deep relationship that has a history behind it, it can fall into this kind of troubled times and conflict. And the church is to come around these, this situation and exhort them towards unity and build them up in Christ and counsel them. So who were, were these ladies? Now second, how important is unity in the church? How important is unity in the church? I want to relate this uh, scenario to maybe our context here. Let's put ourselves in this situation. Pastor Mike is actually in Greenville right now. Uh, suppose he had emailed Greg and wanted to know how things were going here at Lakeville. Greg emailed him back and told him about a lot of good things that were happening, but he also informed that there was a schism happening between two women here at Ladyville Church. Um, maybe the schism was over um, whether or not 
the Christian should use social media or not, or should abstain fully. Um, could be their opinion about public school, private school, home school. Could be a conflict between mothers. Um, could be over gas power or electric. <laughs> all kinds of little tips that we can get all ruffled about, and we might categorize them as opinions, strong opinions. But now think about this. This was, it wasn't so much the, the, the issue at hand that was important to the Apostle Paul, but the existence of this conflict. Paul uses extreme measures to deal with it. He calls on the whole church to get involved with this situation. And just imagine for a moment how awkward this kind of would be if on Sunday morning um, I was told to tell you that Mike wants these two members of the church to resolve this conflict. And I point out and make it public to everybody here. You say, well, that's an extreme measure because he must have seen that this was a great danger in the church. It was a a great danger to the life and the health of the church. It was going to rob them of peace and joy. So unity of the church is vital. It's fundamental. It's most basic. And um, you can think of it this way. It's, it's vital and it's so important that Paul would go out of his way and even, uh, you might say, create an awkward situation for the sake of, of dealing with this issue. Suppose right now I was preaching, right, and you noticed that I started bleeding from my left shoulder. And as I'm speaking more and more, the, the blood is getting more and more spread out. At some point, you guys would see that this was a, a vital issue and that you wouldn't care if it was awkward. You were going to stand up in the middle of the church service and say something about it. And you'd call attention to the fact that I'm, I'm bleeding out. Well, that's the kind of... That's how... It's, uh, extreme the measures were that Paul took because of how vital the situation was. This was this was a cancer that needed to be rooted out of the church. And so the whole church has to be concerned with factions in the church, little tiffs growing in the church. And so Paul he actually solicits the whole church to get involved in this dispute that's happening. Calls them to be mediators of the conflict. Because church unity is vital, and so vital that Paul is willing to make everybody a bit uncomfortable by addressing it publicly. So, how vital is church unity? Well, it's very vital. And then, third, how do you address conflict in the church? I'm going to give you a four-step solution, and I think we probably could draw up more than this, but um, first we need to air it out. I'm going to give you three A's. So uh, three, or four A's, four A's uh, to resolve church conflict. First step is to air it out. Now, first we need to actually address things privately with people and talk to them face-to-face and uh, not talk to her friends about the situation. We go talk to somebody personally, right, and have the guts to do that. 
But second, um, if the, the, the nature of the conflict is, isn't resolved, this is a faction that begins to form in the church, and it's, it's just a cancer that's going to grow. So it needs to be addressed publicly as well. That's what I mean by air it out. Address it thoroughly and root it out of the church. Make it, make it publicly known and don't simply just tell people privately and gossip about the situation. Second, to be affectionate. Again, notice um, his words in verse 1. He begins this way, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brothers, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. He speaks in the most endearing terms, my brother, my beloved, my joy, my crown. So I think we ought to take this approach whenever we address a conflict and we let people know how much we care about them, that we're not just trying to condemn them, and, and that our goal here is not to just surely penalize people and embarrass them in front of people, but that we care for their souls, and we care for the church. And so he starts there, and he starts with affirming them and showing his love to them. So air it out, be affectionate. Third, aim for harmony. We're aiming for harmony, not uniformity. Um, notice Paul calls them to a harmonious agreement. He actually doesn't delve into the issue itself, but he asks them to have harmony. They can have a difference of opinions. That they don't have to agree on every aspect, but they do need to be loving towards each other. They still need to continue to respect each other and have affections for each other. And you can have different agreements within the church and that's why you didn't sign up for the military, you signed up for the church, right? We're not all wearing the same clothing and filing out the door at the same time and marching in order, eating the same food. But we have different opinions. We have diversity in the church. We have different opinions. We even have different applications of the Word of God, depending on your context, your family situation, your work environment, right? There's different ways that the, the Bible can be applied in your life. And there's, a, there's room for disagreement and there's room for difference of opinions. But I want you to notice too, I want to make this qualification very clear, that actually, even though we're supposed to have harmony amongst each other in this personal relational aspect, we are supposed to have uniformity when it comes to doctrine. There's, there's no room for disagreement on doctrine. And I know this because if I know that this here was not a doctrinal issue. And the reason I know that is because if it was a doctrinal issue, we have the chief apostle that communicated what doctrine is to the church. He's the one who established, he, he defined what is the faith that's once and for all delivered to the church. If it was a doctrinal issue, he would have taken a side. Or he would have taken either side, and he would have told them both that they were wrong, and he would have corrected the error, right? So this was not a doctrinal issue. With doctrine, we have uniformity. And he actually, throughout this letter, calls them to have, be united uh, and of one mind. But he is calling them to harmony. And so, 
we have air it out, we have second, be affectionate, aim for harmony, and then fourth, appoint gifted counselors. And some are especially gifted to the task of counseling those who are in conflict. He says, I ask you also, true companion, which is a kind of a funny name for a person, and it may be that that's not his actual name, and I don't know if this is a woman or a guy, I'm not sure, but uh, true companion might, is probably more likely like a nickname, and it describes something about who they were. They were, they were friendly. They were, they were uh, ones who, who could counsel two people that were in a disagreement and bring harmony to that situation. This was a, a true companion. And he also mentions Clement, and, and it may be that he's mentioning Clement as, as one who labored side, side by side in the preaching and proclaiming of the gospel of Philippi. But he's mentioning Clement because he wants Clement's involvement in this situation that has arisen. Clement seems to have some history here with these individuals as well. And he's calling the, these two individuals out and telling them to, to bring counsel to the situation, to bring uh, harmony to the situation, to bring their wisdom and guidance in the situation. And so we see here that Paul appoints gifted counselors to help when there's a, a faction in the church. Maybe that's something that is, is your gifting, you know, something that uh, each of us should consider and think about. It's true that all of us, Paul calls upon the whole church to get involved. Each of us needs to be praying about situations when they arise. Each of us needs to be uh, concerned for the care and well-being of each of the members of a local body. But uh, there are those in particular who are gifted in imparting biblical wisdom, providing biblical counseling to bring in agreement when there's a disruption in the fellowship. So, in conclusion here, um, a stable life begins with having stability in your church, having unity amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul calls the church of Philippi to live at peace and harmony with each other. And without this foundation, you will not have a firm footing in the Lord, you will not have a firm footing in life. And when chaos breaks off, uh, breaks out all around you, you're going to feel like you're being pushed and pulled on from every direction if you don't have a church family that operates in peace and harmony and provides that firm foundation. And you know, the church of God, it ought to be the most stable force in all of the world. Because we have stability in our relationship with God. Where else do you find this kind of stability? We are people that are able also to admit our faults. God has granted us repentance. We are people who are able to forgive each other because we know the forgiveness of God in Christ. We know the peace of God. We know reconciliation and if the church can't have stability, who can have stability in the world? But there is hope for a world gone mad, and it's evident to people, outsiders, because they see the love and peace and the harmony 
and the caring for each other's souls within the church. I know that I actually uh, had never, before I had ever gone to church, I was about 14 years old and I got invited to a church in Santa Rosa to have free hamburgers. It was called a burger bash. And I, I didn't learn anything. I was there for the games and the fun of the hamburgers. <laughs> but I did, my experience with the church was that these people had true, genuine concern and love for you. They operated like a family. And that really stuck out to me. I, again, it was the beginning of, of, of God beginning to, to, to wake me up and, and then call me to himself. It was a seed planted. But seeing that, that uh, unity within the church really had an effect on me. And I think it's important. So I pray that we would take this charge for church unity seriously, that we bond ourselves to each other, care for each other, love each other. With that, um, I'm going to pray. Father, we just uh, thank you so much that we know peace with you, first and foremost, because Christ paid our penalty for sin and reconciled us at the cross. Father, I uh, pray, Lord, that you would build up the believers here at Lakeville, sharing each other's burden, caring for each other, Lord, helping each other to face troubled times that rain, God, where it feels very chaotic, Lord. Be our anchor, be our foundation, but may the church to you just be a place of safe haven, a place of rest, joy, contentment in life. Father, I just uh, ask for your grace upon us, Lord. We, we know that we have not arrived, Lord, but we are constantly growing as you minister to us in the spirit. So we ask for your for you to do that. We thank you for this day. We pray this in our Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's two seconds. Battery died. <laughs> <laughs>